Remember the good old days before Microsoft Word had autosave? You'd type up some important document and then your computer would freeze and you'd lose hours of work just because you forgot to hit save? Well, that's what it's like going online without ExpressVPN. Every time you're connected to an unencrypted network, whether it's in an airport, a hotel, a cafe, or anywhere, your online data is not secure. Any person on that same network who knows what they're doing can gain access to your personal data. Bank logins, credit card details, passwords, all the stuff you don't want people seeing. Unfortunately, hacking has become much easier than it used to be. People don't even have to be exceptionally skilled to do it, and there's a lot of money to be made by selling your information on the dark web. ExpressVPN stops hackers from stealing your data by creating a secure, encrypted tunnel between your device and the internet. It's incredibly easy to use. Once the app is running, you literally click one button to get protected. And it works on your phone, laptop, tablet, and more, so you can stay protected on the go. I've been using ExpressVPN for a little while now, and I can rest easy knowing my info is safe and secure. I've heard horror stories of people who've been hacked, and it sounds like a massive pain to try to get any resolution in the aftermath, so I am not interested in finding out what that process is like. Secure your online data today by visiting expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. That's E-X-P-R-E-S-S-V-P-N dot com slash slashfilm, and you can get an extra three months free. expressvpn.com slash slashfilm. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. This year has gone by incredibly quickly, but it's always nice to pause and take stock. What's something you're proud of in 2024 so far? What's something you still want to accomplish this year? I know I'm guilty of falling into a routine and not always thinking about the bigger picture, but as the great Ferris Bueller once said, life moves pretty fast. If you don't stop and look around once in a while, you can miss it. So it's crucial to take a moment to celebrate your wins and make adjustments for the rest of the year. Therapy can help you contextualize your progress and set achievable goals for the next six months. As you surely know by now, it's not only for people who have experienced major trauma. Therapy is helpful in all kinds of ways, including learning positive coping skills and how to set boundaries. If you've been considering trying therapy, check out BetterHelp. It's fully online and was specifically designed to be flexible and customizable to your schedule. To get started, just fill out a brief questionnaire that matches you up with a licensed therapist, and you can switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Take a moment. Visit BetterHelp.com FilmDaily today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash film daily. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Slash Film Daily for August 15th, 2018. On today's episode, we're going to gather at the virtual water cooler and talk about what we've been up to. This is Slash Film senior writer Ben Pearson, and joining me on today's podcast are managing editor Jacob Hall. Hello, hello. Weekend editor Brad Oman. Hey, that's me. And writers Y Tran Bowie. Hey, everyone. And Chris Evangelista. Hi. All right, so Peter is uh, sick, unfortunately, so he's not going to be able to join us today, but we figured it's been long enough, and uh, HT is back, Chris is back from vacation, so we figured it's time for another edition of the water cooler, even though it's not Monday, so hopefully we'll probably get back to a, a regular schedule maybe next week. Uh, but let's talk about what we've been up to, guys. Um, Jacob, what have you been doing lately? I've been doing <clears throat> lots of adult things, like going to Ikea Realizing that Ikea does not carry the thing I need and leaving angrily. Uh, but more exciting than that, um, I went and bought a new car. Or more specifically, my wife and I bought a new car. The lease on her Nissan Rogue was up. And we went out in search of a new vehicle. And rather than lease again, we decided to buy. And the thing about buying cars for us is that, uh, as, as my wife always puts it, we don't buy cars as much as we go to car fittings to see what cars we can fit in. Because I'm six foot four, she's five foot eleven. And cars aren't made for me. Like at the Nissan dealer, I was hitting my head on door frames constantly. And even though it's not a cool car, um, we ended up going with a Ford Flex. Uh, it's pretty much, think of it as a, a, a modern station wagon. We don't have kids, we have dogs, so it works for that. That is great trunk space. And most importantly, I actually can, I have room to sprawl, Ben. I can actually literally sprawl in this car. <laughs> and I can't sprawl in any other car ever. Uh, so, yeah, I'm, I'm sure we may get some emails about, about saying, like, oh, why did you buy that? terrible car here's how it killed my father uh but no i'm very i'm very very happy with the ford flex so far i really hope we don't get any emails saying that the ford flex killed anyone's father but you never know uh if you do want to send us an email you can do it at peter at slash um okay so brad what have you been up to lately i finally received my NECA teenage mutant ninja turtle action figures that were a san diego comic-con exclusive uh, they're figures designed to look exactly like the Turtles do from the original movie from 1990. They are the exact action figures I always wanted as a kid because all the figures that they ever made 
when I was younger that tried to look like the Ninja Turtle figures or the Ninja Turtles from the movie never really quite lived up to how they looked in the movie, uh, especially when they started changing the design a little bit towards um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles 3 and they had, you know, different reptile spots and they kind of looked like they had some kind of skin disease. But these new figures from NECA are quite possibly the best movie uh, action figures that I've ever seen. They have replicated the design of the turtles perfectly. Oh, they, they all look exactly like they should. It's a, it's an, in a package that looks like the actual original VHS uh, box. It even has like artificial wear on the box design itself. Uh, all the turtles come with their weapons and slices of pizza and a canister of ooze, and they're just like the coolest. I could not be more happy that I was able to snag this uh, this figure set. So, Brad, let me ask you this: What do you do with these? Because um, I know you're you're a collector. Do you get any enjoyment out of like? I mean, are you are you one of those kinds of people that refuses to take them out of the box, or do you? How does that work for you? No, I mean, when it, when it comes to any pretty much any new action figures that I buy, I'm taking them out of the box because these aren't figures that I'm intending to sell at any point, and I get joy from uh, setting them up in cool poses and, like, kind of replicating scenes from movies and putting them on display so that you can really see uh, how cool they are. Um, so that's pretty much what I do with most of my figures, especially when it comes to, like, I collect Star Wars Black Series figures and things like that. I have some old, like other stuff that I haven't taken out of package from like when I was um, when I was a little bit younger and like was into collecting but like most of the new stuff that I buy like I said I take it out of a package and so these I will I haven't gotten them out to like set them up yet um, but when I do like I'll I'll, I'll figure out something for him. And let me, one more question. Do you cross-contaminate franchises? Like, will you have one of these turtles, like, riding on the back of the Ecto-1 or something? Or, <laughs> or is that all, or is it, you know, is everything very clearly delineated? I haven't yet, but I have been toying with the idea. Um, no pun not, intended. No pun intended. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, um, yeah, I, I've been thinking about it, but I I don't know. It's It, it wouldn't be too difficult. Like, I mean... There's there'd be some fun crossover to do between like the Ghostbusters figures and Ninja Turtles figures that I have since they're both in you know from New York and stuff, um, but yeah I don't know it's it's something that I I think about every now and then but I haven't really executed yet but I I, I might do it at some point. Okay so that's the uh, the NECA Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle action figures. Uh, for me I my wife and I are planning a big vacation next month. We're going to Iceland and Ireland and we bought a drone. Uh, I think it was two weeks ago. And um, we like to make travel videos when we're out, not necessarily like one of those, uh, you know, like a, hey guys, Gucci <laughs> kind of travel video, but, uh, you know, just more of like a, a visual scrapbook kind of thing where it's basically just for us where we can look back on a trip, you know, and, and see the whole two weeks play out in like a 10 minute period. So um, we went to New Zealand in 2016 and bought a drone for that. And we had the GoPro Karma, which is the, the brand of drone that the GoPro cameras company created and that brand or that uh, drone ended up getting recalled because they were falling out of the sky and basically you could tell that GoPro spent all of their time designing and building their cameras and not enough time designing and building their drone so this time around I bought the uh, the DJI Mavic Air which is DJI is like one of the best known drone uh, manufacturers out there. So it's very, a very different experience and a whole lot better of an experience in terms of like the actual flight controls and the options that you have. And um, it's really cool. We took it out this past weekend to a place called Sycamore Canyon out here in LA. It's like a 40 minute drive from Hollywood, uh, just sort of out in the middle of nowhere, open fields where there aren't any power lines or people to bother. And you get some cool vistas and, and uh, mountains in the background and stuff like that. So we just uh, tested it out this past weekend. So um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy with it. I'm looking forward to taking it uh, out you know, on our international adventure and seeing what kind of footage comes back um so i'm i'm very excited about that and and uh i'm we're planning we're, fingers crossed we might be able to go to skellig michael which is where they filmed the um octu scenes from uh, the star wars movies the most recent uh, two uh star wars saga films so man i, I mean i just am 
dreaming about the drone footage we could get out there uh, if, you know, the GPS signal uh, <laughs> holds true and it doesn't just fly off into the sea. So we'll see what happens if we're able to uh, actually make that pilgrimage out there. That would be pretty awesome. Um, Chris, you have been on vacation recently. Where did you go? What, how was your vacation? Uh, it was good. I uh, I needed it. Um, I, I basically haven't had a real vacation in over a year, and I really haven't had a, had a day off in over a year because even on the weekends I'm you know working on freelance stuff and stuff like that. So uh, it was nice to just you know have a week off. Um, we went to uh, Brigantine, New Jersey, which is you know part of the Jersey Shore. Um, and what I like about Brigantine is unlike other destinations in the Jersey Shore, it's very quiet. It's basically like a retirement community with a beach. And, uh, that's perfect for me because I am an old man at heart, even though I'm somewhat young. So, uh, my wife and I just basically did nothing. We went to the beach, we read books, we watched TV and that's it. It was great. It was great to do <laughs> nothing for a full week and it went by way too quick, but, uh, that's the way it goes. So what was your favorite, uh, activity or meal or any particular highlight from the trip? It's just nice to just be down there and not be uh, at our house, which is like a dump. <laughs> like, I, like you know, I, it's fine when I'm here, but when I go away to a much nicer place, it's like, oh, this reminds me, my place is a dump. So it was nice <laughs> just to get away and we, you know, we can bring the dog, we bring our dogs with us and, you know, we go at night, we just walk on the beach with the dogs and there's no one around and it's nice and quiet, and that's all I really care about. I need peace and quiet. That's all I'm looking for. I don't need to have wild wild and crazy adventures anymore. That sounds pretty glorious. Uh, HT, on, on the opposite end of the spectrum, while Chris was basically just lounging around not doing much, you seem to have had a, a pretty jam-packed past few days. What have you been up to? Yeah, I have had no peace and quiet for the past uh, week and a half, but I don't mind because... Um... Yeah, I have had kind of a whirlwind weekend weekend. I'll start with the weekend because it's was uh, both work-related and also entertainment-related and something that I've been looking forward to for a while. First, on Saturday, I went to see Hamilton, which I have been looking forward to ever since, you know, the buzz started, started around it maybe three years ago. And I finally got to see it at the Kennedy Center in D.C. And it was spectacular. I had such a great time. Uh, I, I was a little sort of tense watching it, though, because I think I was just so excited to see all my favorite songs from the album come to life that I was just like paying attention really intensely and was not really able to relax into it. I kind of want to see it again just so I can enjoy the music and enjoy the, for the performance. But it was so fun. It was worth well worth the wait. And um, I, I've just. I'm so happy I finally got to see it, even so, though, yeah. Go, go ahead. Oh, oh, yeah, even though it was, it was quite pricey, but as you do for a Hamilton ticket. Yeah, for sure. So I, I had the opposite experience when, when I saw Hamilton. I didn't uh, listen to the soundtrack beforehand, so I went in completely cold and then, of course, just you know fell in love with it and, and have been listening to the soundtrack pretty much nonstop uh, since then. So I guess the the tension you were talking about feeling did that just come from comparing what you were seeing on the stage to the versions of the song that were in your head from the soundtrack basically that that was that was essentially what i was trying to avoid by avoiding the album for so long but i did give in and listen to the album and was obsessed with it so i had like this sort of uh this dream or invention in my mind of like what I wanted to see with it. And when it didn't quite match up with it or was a little bit different or had like different choices, then sometimes there was that tension, but I still enjoyed it regardless. It was just so fun. The DC cast uh, was, who was part of like the touring cast uh, nationwide is so good. And um, yeah, our Hamilton especially was like quite good looking. So I enjoyed that as well. <laughs> awesome. What else have you been doing? Uh, so right after that, um, I left to go to London for uh, for work, and um, uh, I can't say much about it. We actually didn't stay in London this time around. We stayed in Watford, which is a really a little bit outside of London. It had um, and we kind of stayed at the sort of country club esque estate. But the hotel was cool because it was very much um, it was basically re uh, remade from a an old like country estate that I think was like 200 years old. And as we were driving up to it, it felt very much like either you were going into a Gothic novel or you were about to just like, just get dropped into an Austin novel or something. So I, I it was fun, even though it was, it was a little bit in the middle of nowhere and it was really 
beautiful hotel though. So did you have any time off to yourself or was it just like a whirlwind uh, doing a set visit or whatever you were up to and then just back on a plane? Nope, whirlwind. It was Hamilton on the plane, back on the plane, and then back to uh, my home, which was kind of also a little bit packed as well because I've had relatives visiting for the past week and then more relatives visiting this week. It's kind of just like popped in the middle of a very family-centric um, two weeks, which I'm not I'm not um, upset about because I do love my family and I have a very big family. I'm happy to see all of them, especially uh, because the first week uh, my relatives are staying at my parents' house um, who were, they were about to go to Vietnam for about five years for my uncle's job. And um, their two kids are, are the kids I dearly love. I babysat them for, for a couple of years and uh, it was just so nice to like hang out with them and just um, see them every day, even though it was a little bit chaotic. Uh, and my sister was also staying uh, with me because she is here before she goes off to grad school in Montreal. And she just came back from like doing the El Camino in Spain, which is like a pilgrimage. So it's, she's also having quite a whirlwind as well. And yet, She's the one I went to see Hamilton with. So it was, a, it was a lot of fun hanging out with my family and then more family coming this week as well from France. Uh, and because we kind of love hanging out together and I, we get FOMO whenever we don't hang out together, we went like rock climbing together. We are playing this video game called Overcooked. I think we have plans to do several barbecues. So uh, it's, it's quite exciting. I'm, I'm definitely not going to be sitting down and relaxing for, uh, at a retirement home for any time, anytime soon. <laughs> wow. Yeah. It sounds like, uh, man, you've really got a lot going on. Um, yep. So I, I guess moving back over to the other side of the pendulum in the what we've been reading category, Chris, when you're on vacation, you read a book. What, what were you reading? Oh, uh, yeah, I, I read um, Alan Steppenwald's uh, Breaking Bad 101, which is basically it, it's it covers the entire series Breaking Bad. Um, because I guess I'll just jump ahead and you, you don't have to you don't have to come back to me for this topic either. But during the vacation, we decided to just start rewatching Breaking Bad from the beginning because, um, you know, Better Call Saul is airing now and I'm, you know, I'm reviewing it for the site. And my wife has actually only seen like one or two episodes of Better Call Saul. So she wanted to start watching it, but she also wanted to rewatch Breaking Bad first. And I haven't really watched Break Breaking Bad since, you know, the beginning. So we went back and started rewatching that. And as a result, I, re I remember that Alan Sebel has his book covering entire series so i decided to just you know get that and read it while we were there and it's great it's an easy read i think i, I read it in like two days and it just you know it goes through literally the entire series it, you know it covers uh, you know casting and all that stuff it, it's a really informative book and as for rewatching breaking bad um the first season does not hold up i know that's going to be sacrilege for some people who think this is like the best show ever made uh, the first season is a bit wonky. It's a little uh, more off kilter than I remember. You can tell when they first started, they thought of it as more of like a comedy, like a dark comedy. And then by the time you get into season two, the show really starts to become this much darker drama. And that's when I think the show becomes the great show that everyone remembers it as. But that first season is a little, little awkward. So... Uh, that's part of the reason why I've said this before, where I think Better Call Saul is a better show because Better Call Saul from the beginning, at least in my mind, has been great. And it hasn't had like a bad season yet. Whereas Breaking Bad, that first season just doesn't quite work as well as the rest. But we're up to season four now and uh, I'm loving I'm loving it. I'm remembering why, you know, it's such a good show to begin with. Yeah, that's all. I mean, yeah, that, that show is so great. And I think I'm right there with you. I joined the Breaking Brad, uh, the Breaking Bad hype train a little bit late in the game. I think I came on board the show when it was first airing, probably sometime around season three. So I did the whole catch up thing back then. And I remember watching the pilot and loving it. And then the first season sort of dropped off in quality a little bit. And I was like, wait, this is the show that everybody's talking about. But once you sort of get through that first season, I think you're right. I think that's when it really starts to pick up steam a little bit. And just for those who don't know, by the way, Alan Steppenwall is like a famous uh, TV critic. I think he writes for Rolling Stone right now. And he has, you know, been he wrote episode by episode recaps of Breaking Bad as it was airing. And he has a, a, a relationship, a business relationship with uh, Vince Gilligan, the creator. So I think he has a bunch of interviews and stuff in uh, Breaking Bad 101. Is that right, uh, Chris? Interviews with the, the creators and all of that? 
Yeah, uh, yeah. Vince Gilligan is interviewed, and Brian Cranston, pretty much every, almost everyone involved with the show, um, he he talked to them for the book to get their insight into like certain episodes and certain scenes. So it has a lot of great just details about you know just the making of the show, as well as you know recaps and reviews. Very cool. Okay, so hey Chris, I was wondering if you heard about the uh, next book that he's doing with uh, Matt Zolosite. It's going to be same thing but uh, the sopranos yes i have heard about that i'm very excited to get i think that comes out in january so i'm really looking forward to that awesome yeah um i <laughs> i guess this is the time for me to admit that i've never seen the sopranos and i'm like cue the gasps all around from what? listeners all over the place yeah i, I know oh my god i watched the first season I watched sopranos either guys <laughs> wow. what all right. all right here's what we can do chris you and i can organize a site-wide rewatch of The Sopranos. We're going <laughs> to podcast about it. We're going to write about it. Um, and we're going to do this sometime soon. Mark my words, listeners. Hold me to this. By 2019, every single person on the staff will be watching Sopranos and writing or talking about it. <laughs> All right. Let's so it. You've, you've heard it here first. Uh, so what we've been watching, uh, Chris, you, you've uh, segued us in with Breaking Bad. But Jacob, what have you been watching lately? I haven't been up to much. It's been a pretty uh, homebody of a week. I'm pretty much sitting around watching ER on, on Hulu. But I'm not talking about ER, but uh, I, I did find Obvious Child on Netflix and watched it again with my wife. And we saw this when it came out in theaters in 2014. And I don't want to say it's vanished, but it's, it's definitely a movie that kind of fallen under the radar. When I think it's a movie that is really charming and wonderful and deserves to be reseen and rediscovered on Netflix. It's uh, Jenny Slate, stars as a, a struggling stand-up comedian in New York City who becomes pregnant and decides to get an abortion. And it follows that decision and uh, her relationships with her various friends and family. And it's just this totally non-judgmental, very funny, very charming uh, film. It's uh, directed by uh, Jillian Robespierre. And it's 84 minutes long. And it's, in many ways, a very traditional New York-centric rom-com, except that it's about <laughs> an abortion. But at the same time, it's, it's not like an in-your-face, dark, offensive thing. It's very honest and real. And I'm curious if any of you guys um, saw this when it came out or re revisited recently, um, because I think I liked it more the second time around uh, at home than I did in the theater. I have not seen this movie. Has anybody else on the show seen this? Yeah, uh, I, saw, yeah. I, saw, I saw it when it played at Sundance, and uh, I've rewatched it a couple times since then. I, I love it. It's so good. Jenny Slate's fantastic in it. Um, it's just, yeah, it's, it's such a great movie. If you haven't seen it, you should definitely seek it out. Yeah, yeah I, I heard um, people... Uh, several people raving about it. So I got to catch it when uh, I saw that I was on Netflix and I really enjoyed it. It's kind of a, a much quieter sort of subtle movie than I anticipated, but Jenny Slate is so good. I think that was kind of the beginning of the Jenny Slate a So that was fun to see. Yes, I agree. It was, uh, I actually, I think I had this in my last streaming column I mentioned or the one before it. And I was actually, when it came out, I was expecting Jenny Slate to get like award season love because I thought she was so good in the movie. And she got totally ignored, which I thought was really strange. Like, cause I, I honestly think she gives a phenomenal performance in this, but I guess maybe the film was too controversial. I don't, I don't know, but I was expecting more attention towards award season and it didn't get it. Huh? Um, yeah. So uh, Jacob, what else have you been watching? Well, on the opposite end of the spectrum, uh, because I like to see what's going on with the horror genre of both highs and lows. I, rented truth or dare on amazon prime and oh boy truth or dare um this is a movie from blumhouse uh came out earlier this year and for those who don't know about blumhouse their financial model is essentially here's a couple million dollars go make what you want and we'll see what you come up with if it's great we'll put it in theaters or if it's bad we'll put it in theaters or let's dump it in vod it's very much a hands-off kind of studio jason blum who runs it seems to kind of like have faith in filmmakers to either um, make something great for their money or make something terrible and they can just sweep on the rug when they spend so little on it that it's fine. And sometimes this produces Whiplash or Get Out or even Paranormal Activity. And sometimes you get Truth or Dare, which is the worst film Blumhouse has ever put in theaters. I have seen worse Blumhouse films on VOD. I have never seen one that was theatrically released as bad as this. Uh, it was directed by Jeff Wadlow, who did Kick-Ass 2. And it stars Lucy Hale as a college student, goes down to Mexico with her friends, goes to an abandoned church, plays a game of Truth or Dare, and starts being haunted by a demon that forces them to play Truth or Dare at random points, usually ending in their deaths or humiliations. And it is... I don't know where to begin. And the premise is sort of it follows in a way in that this game is infecting people they come in contact with. 
but the moment I knew we were in trouble was when somebody gets uh, pulled into the game, random strangers around them took take on this demonic visage to say truth or dare and demand them make a choice, and it looks like somebody like a seventh grader using Photoshop to stretch out somebody's face. And it never, it's not a good creative decision in any way whatsoever. Like the moment you see it, it like it's, I, I shuddered because I thought who approved this? Who thought this was a good idea? This had to go through so many people. It's like visual effects artists, director, writers, producers had to look at this effect and say, yeah, that's fine. That'll do. But I, this movie just gets worse as it goes along. And it's just a, a nightmare to endure. And this is the same studio, like studio, like you know, Blumhouse had a hand in releasing Upgrade, uh, the sci-fi action movie earlier this year, which is another movie you know, probably made for similar amounts of money, but it's great. So <laughs> Blumhouse is such an interesting thing. I feel like you're playing Russian roulette with them, but I, I always, I always find something to talk about at the very least. Has anybody else suffered through this garbage, or is it just me? <laughs> I feel like Chris would be the only one who even has a chance of seeing this. I did not. I saw the trailer for it, and I said, boy, that looks really bad, so I have yet to see it. If it ever shows up on, like, Netflix, I'll probably watch it as I'm, you know, doing other things. But no, I have yet to see it. <laughs> okay, so that's Truth or Dare. Watch at your own uh, peril, apparently. Um, Brad, what have you been watching? We dare you to watch Truth or Dare. Mm. Boo. <laughs> you shut up. <laughs> uh, what have I been watching? Why, why am I speaking? Oh, <laughs> um, so yesterday I went to go see Eighth Grade for a second time. I haven't seen it since I saw it at Sundance. And funnily enough, my mom uh, mentioned that she wanted to see it, which I was surprised by because usually it's oh, scary movies are the ones that she likes to go out of her way to see. And it's not often that her attention is caught by an indie movie like that until maybe it gets nominated for an Oscar or something like that. My mom's a very uh, a very general audience kind of moviegoer. But apparently, uh, like a lot of moms do sometimes, um, she was off this summer because she works at a school. And she saw a segment on the Today Show with Bo Burnham and Elsie Fisher. And that was enough to convince her to want to see it. So we went to see it yesterday. Uh, and she absolutely loved it. I, lo- I still loved it uh, a second time. The movie is just so charming and terrifying and perfect and just it's it's just a wonderful movie um and i hope that people still get a chance to to go see it they had those free screenings last week for people and it's just something that i hope people continue to go see apparently it's uh one of the highest grossing indies of the year so far so i at least some people are seeing it and i hope that it gets uh, a good life when it comes out on home video and people start spreading it around. I saw this movie as well, and I'll just talk about it briefly here. And I, I think, I mean, we've really said almost all there is to say about the film, but I also really enjoyed it. And I feel like, Brad, your mom likes horror movies. This movie kind of is a horror movie in, in some That's respects. Fair. So uh, I, I feel like it's not too far afield from her uh, her typical stuff. Um, yeah, Elsie Fisher is so good in this in this movie. And I mean, just echoing what everybody says about this, it's just kind of amazing that, like, a guy in his... What, Bo Burnham's, like, not even 30 yet, right? Like, he's... Yeah, in his late 20s. Yeah, in his late 20s, was able to tap into, uh, you know, making a movie that feels so specific to a whole... Uh, to everyone, really. I mean, it's it's not just, like, the female experience, but which he captures pretty well from the women that I've talked to who have seen, who have seen this movie. But, like, there are a lot of things that, that sort of... Um, you know, transcend uh, gender in, in this movie that everyone who you know, suffered through middle school uh, experienced. So, um, yeah, th- it, it is a great movie and, and everyone should definitely see it. It's it's very, uh, it's so good, especially for a directorial debut, I think. So um, what else have you been watching, Brad? Um, I recently rewatched Mystery Alaska, which is available right now on HBO, if you happen to have a subscription to that, or you have HBO Go or Now or whatever. Um, this is a movie that I really like. I watched it when I was, I think, in, in high school. I just happened to stumble upon it when it was playing on a movie channel or something. Um, and it didn't really get much uh, critical acclaim. It, it was regarded as kind of just being like this throwaway, mediocre thing. But I actually really like this movie, partially because... It's the kind of movie that Hollywood doesn't really make anymore. It's this mid-budget ensemble sports drama uh, with these, you know, kind of quirky small town uh, Alaska um, characters. And they, you know, have this uh, hockey team where it's like a big deal to play on the team in this town. It's, you know, it really drives, um, you know, basically their their passion and everything's based around the, the Saturday game that they play with this group of like 10 people. And it's... It's very much a um, 
a sports movie in every sense of the word, but the characters in it are also really fun. It's got a great cast, uh, Russell Crowe and Hank Azaria, um, and uh, who else? Burt Reynolds is, is in it, and it's just, I've, I've always enjoyed it quite a bit. And while I was watching it, I really think that, um, because it's a Walt Disney Pictures production that they released through Hollywood Pictures, I wish that they would do something with it and maybe turn it into like some kind of series, kind of like Friday Night Lights, because um, I know that they're already working on a Mighty Ducks live action series reboot, but this would be, I feel like, something that would be a little bit different and a little more mature. And like, especially with that small town vibe, I think it has the potential to be something uh, like that if they were to, to do something with the property. Even though it's not a recognizable name, I think you could revamp it and turn it into something really cool. I remember seeing this when I was really young and don't remember, uh, I mean, it, anything about it other than, oh yeah, I remember I saw that movie. So I'm glad that uh, that it still holds up. Um, what else have you been checking out, Brad? And then I, I, this is old news by now, but it's been on my DVR and I finally got around to watching The Roast of Bruce Willis from Comedy Central. And it is hilarious. Uh, they rip into him so well. Um, the, the the lineup of, of roasters is, was fantastic. I mean, so you have Nikki Glaser and Jeff Ross, of course. Um, but then you also have people like Sybil Shepard there and Edward Norton. If, if you have, if you only want, watch one bit from the roast of Bruce Willis, watch Edward Norton's bit because he <laughs> gives this amazing monologue talking about all the things that he could never do because he's not Bruce Willis. And like, he makes them sound like compliments, but they're, they're insults. And it's, it's a performance that Edward Norton is giving. And it's, it's done so well. And like <laughs> everything he says is just so hard hitting and honest and, and hilarious. Uh, of course, Demi Moore sh- showed up at some point too, you know, that it was, it was a quote unquote surprise, even though they used it to help promote the roast. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it is, brutal and just so so funny i I love when they do roasts like this and they just like don't hold anything back uh when they do them it's so if you if you like that kind of comedy you should definitely check it out all right so that's the roast of bruce willis on comedy central uh chris what have you been watching uh yeah in addition to uh breaking bad i also watched uh the first season of the sinner which is that uh, usa show with bill pullman and jessica biel um it's fine. Uh, the the beginning is is really ingr- like the first episode really hooks you, and I was really excited because I was like, oh wow, this is going to be great. And then it kind of runs out of steam. It's actually doing something really similar to what Sharp Objects is doing, where you know it's about this woman and her trauma and her past with her mother and her sister. And uh, Sharp Objects does it so much better, but um. It's it's disposable TV that is okay to watch. I mean, Jessica Biel is really good in it. Um, Bill Pullman is good, but it, it sort of runs out of steam. But it's okay to like sort of just watch if you have nothing else to watch. Um, I haven't watched the second season yet, but I hear it's better. So I'll, I'll probably get around to watching it eventually. But the first season is now on Netflix. And the other thing I watched is uh, Puppet Master, The Littlest Reich, which is the new Puppet Master film. And I'm going to go against the grain here. Um, almost everyone I t- I've seen online has been praising this as this, you know, oh, this is this crazy, violent movie. And let me tell you, this movie is awful. This is probably one of the worst movies I've ever seen. And... I'm sure that'll get me in trouble because, you know, this film is being, you know, sponsored, like funded by Fangoria and everyone's very excited that Fangoria is back. And so am I, but this movie is bad. Uh, it ended and I was just furious and it actually ends on like a cliffhanger. Cause I guess they want to turn this into like a, a whole new franchise. And I, I just, the minute the credits rolled, I pretty much said, Oh fuck you to this movie. And I have no intention of like watching what comes next. So don't believe the hype uh, puppet master, little right. Littlest Reich is terrible. And I'm someone who can really get down with shitty horror, like mo- horror movies that I know are bad, but I can still like, and this is just the opposite end of that where it's just, it's not even like entertaining. So Go to hell, Puppet Master, the littlest Reich. <laughs> that is unfortunate, because this was written by uh, S. Craig Zoller, who's the guy who wrote and directed Bone Tomahawk a couple years ago, and that was like one of my favorite, I think that was my favorite movie of 2015 when that came out. I, I was very taken with that film, and I thought the script was fantastic, and then it, it, Zoller has just been like 
on this downward decline in, in terms of, you know, in, in my opinion, uh, in terms of writing, it's like the the movie that he did with Vince Vaughn, uh, the name of it is escaping me right now. Brawl in Cell Block 99. Yes, yes, exactly. What a piece of garbage that movie is. Yeah, Holy crap. It's, it's not good. And then it sounds like this one is also not very good. He has another one coming up called Dragged Across Concrete with Mel Gibson coming out. And I'm just like, God, nothing about that sounds appealing to me. So it's, uh, it's unfortunate to see him sort of fall off um, so sharply. But uh, Jacob, have you seen the new Puppet Master movie yet? Uh, no, but I've heard th- I've heard Chris's reaction, and I've also heard uh, other reactions. I know that friend of the site uh, and ca- an occasional writer for us, uh, Jacob Knight, who loves trash. He like loves trashy movies of all kinds and all shapes. He adored it and wrote about it on Birth Movies Death. And Jacob's the kind of guy who, um, like like I said, likes movies that like really are off-putting and, and unpleasant, and likes to dig into that. Um, but, I, but I think his opinion will be the minority one when more people get to see this because I think uh, Chris's reaction seems to be the one people are kind of quietly muttering about because they don't want to. I think some people are maybe worried about upsetting the folks at Fangoria because there, there's a truly wonderful team working there. But at the same time, I think the people at Fangoria know exactly what this movie is, whether they love it or hate it. They, they know what it is. So I, I think people should be honest about it. Okay, uh, so that's Puppet Master of the Littlest Reich, and Chris, is that like coming out soon, or, or is it coming to VOD? Do you know? What the... Oh God, who cares? <laughs> I, um, I think it is out soon. I got a screener of it, and I don't know when it's out, and I'm so angry at this movie that I don't even want to look up when it's out. It'll be out at some point. So Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, for me, I recently watched, uh, like I mentioned, Eighth Grade, and then uh, I also saw Black Klansman, which the Slash Filmcast just did uh, more of an in-depth review of, so I'd encourage you guys to listen to their discussion about that movie. Uh, this is Spike Lee's newest film. It stars Denzel Washington's son, John David Washington, and um, it's really, really good. I, I mean, I think I was surprised because Spike Lee is very hit or miss for me as a director but this is like his most accessible and um and like you can really feel the passion in his storytelling here uh this is one of the best scripts that i think he's worked with in a long time um the acting is all really great adam driver is really good in this movie washington is is really solid in the lead role and uh the movie i mean it is just it is spike lee um laying it out on the line and and making a film that uh that speaks to our current moment in a way that um you know like i I feel like sorry to bother you earlier this year also felt like a movie that was very 2018 um and black Klansman, i think blows that out of the water because it it basically just uh, you know in that regard because it, it 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 anchors the release of that movie um to current events and uh very very recent events and it it draws this line between a an undercover cop who infiltrates the kkk in the 1970s to modern events and the trump presidency and uh how far we've come as a society or in this case how really not far we've come at all in a way that uh that makes those distinctions very clear and very um you know the movie's like borderline over the top when it comes to being didactic and and sort of hammering its its point home but i feel like we are living in a time right now where the that point needs to be made over and over and over again about how um (laughs) <laughs> like white supremacy is not uh, is not something that we should be accepting as a society. So uh, anyway, like I said, listen to the Slash Filmcast full review of Black Klansman. That episode uh, just came out, uh, I think, yesterday. So you can listen to that right now. And then the last thing that I've been watching is uh, Culture Shock Freaks and Geeks. So Culture Shock is a new show on A&E. And I didn't, I, I would never have known about the show if I didn't see people like Seth Rogen tweeting about it. Um, not too long ago. I think it first aired in July, and I just put it on my DVR and, and finally just got around to it. Uh, but it's basically an hour-long uh, behind-the-scenes documentary about Freaks and Geeks, which is the the one-season show that uh, aired on Fox and was canceled and um, you know launched the career helped launch the careers of people like James Franco and uh, Seth Rogen and Jason Segel and a ton of other um, A-list actors now. And it was created by Paul Feig and executive produced by Judd Apatow. And it's it's basically like the, the best special feature that you would find on a DVD. And I actually don't own Freaks and Geeks on DVD. I, I 
watched it and rewatched it on Netflix. It was streaming there last time I checked. Um, so I don't know. Maybe the DVD actually does have a bunch of, you know, like the box sets. Maybe they, maybe it has a bunch of uh, great special features on it, but I've never seen any of those. So this show, um, which is the fourth episode of the first season of Culture Shock on A&E, uh, is devoted entirely to Freaks and Geeks and just goes through the creation of it and uh, has tons of interviews with all of the major players. And um, it was really great to watch. I mean, it's just that show is so good and watching uh, these people reminisce about making it and and how it uh, affected their careers and, and sort of changed the, the cultural landscape, um, even though it was basically ignored uh, at the time and treated really, really terribly by its own network, um, was just a, a heartwarming kind of thing so I, I just looked this up and you can watch it on a and e's website right now it's available until december 31st 2035 which is kind of hilarious to me they put such a specific date on it uh but yeah if you have a, a cable tv provider you can log in with your info and just watch it right now on a and e's website so that's culture shock freaks and geeks that's the fourth episode of the first season of that show uh that is what i've been watching um ht what have you been watching lately so to cap off my crazy week, I got to see Crazy Rich Asians. I actually went to see it with my mom. Um, I went to an early screening last week on Tuesday. And I have been looking forward to this movie for quite a while now. I had read the book, which I admittedly was not that impressed with just because it was a very sort of uh, lightweight, frivolous book, um, very much a beach read. But Crazy Rich Asians was a, book, a story that I think would have suited the movie the, big screen so well and it did i enjoyed this movie so much it was basically like devil meets devil wears prada meets every jane austen novel a tale of class and culture and uh the clash of cultures and everything like that and it was opulent and so fun to watch um and also kind of paid homage to a lot of great rom-coms as well but most importantly it had michelle yo just like tearing everyone a new one and after i watched that i was like i just want her to be my mom so she can degrade me and call me trash in her designer outfits because i love her and would give her my firstborn children <laughs> um, so yes crazy Asians is great the cast is great especially michelle yo but also constance Wu, of course playing a very kind of starry-eyed cinderella character and it's such a fun uh such a real such a movie that I identified with so much uh, as an Asian American, even though it wasn't specifically about an Asian American family, it did sort of hit a lot of those cues. And um, yeah, it's, it's a great film that I highly recommend. And um, especially if you want, if you're Asian American and you're seeking to see a movie that represents you on the big screen, or you're just looking for a refreshing rom-com because it has, it, it works on so many of those levels. So that's out in theaters right now. Uh, Aishi, what did your mom think about it? Oh, she loved it. She's already planning a big family uh, trip to see it all together. So she was very excited. She um, definitely wants to go visit uh, Singapore now and eat all the food there. There are a lot of good food scenes, by the way. I think that like the food just has got, got us just good treatment as the fashion did in this film. <laughs> awesome. So uh, you've also been watching some things that don't quite live up to that level of quality. <laughs> No, um, I think I talked about this before, but whenever I go on a long plane trip, I really enjoy watching movies that I would not have paid for or that I just missed in theaters and, was, and they are totally fine movies. Um, but I ended up watching Rampage, the Dwayne Johnson uh, movie based on the video game that I never played. But um, and I also ended up watching Ready Player One and Molly's Game, which I don't want to categorize as one of the bad movies I watched. So that was actually a good film. It was the um, directorial debut of Aaron Sorkin. But first, Rampage was a lot more brutal than I anticipated. I kind of wanted it to be a fun Dwayne Johnson romp, romp but it started off with like this horrific death and then just like start, kept adding on all these more horrific deaths that were kind of similar to like how Kong Skull Island could have been very B-movie but ended up being quite brutal and, and violent. Uh, I kind of got that sort of similar um, vibe as well. Uh, and then Ready Player One, which I know some people love. I'm going to say I did not. It was just kind of a cacophonous mess to me. I did fall asleep at one point, and, uh, which is kind of amazing to me because there's just so much happening on the screen. And um, I think just because there's so much happening, there's, there's so much visual information that they're throwing at you, I just got overwhelmed and my eyes were tired. So I just kind of 
drifted off a couple times. Uh, I'm not, I've said that I'm not a big fan of the book. Um, I will say it's better than the book because at least it's not just, you know, uh, one page basically listing off Wikipedia references of like every 80s property. Um, and it feels less like it's just writing on the nostalgia and is more kind of like a almost typical YA uh, dystopian movie. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it was, yeah, it was fine. Not great. Uh, Molly's Game, I did enjoy. I never got around to seeing this in theaters and I kind of figured it would be fine to see on a plane because uh, Aaron Sorkin is... I, well, I didn't know much about his directing style. I've always kind of, I kind of assumed that he would direct much ha- like he writes in that he's not very visually strong. It was actually quite um, visually like stimulating movie and I enjoyed it. Jessica Chastain is great. It does kind of suffer from Sorkinism in that it like goes a little over long and wanders off in the last third of the film. Um, could have definitely been a little bit more tight and condensed, but uh, I, I, I thought it was a good film, and uh, I enjoyed watching that one much more than uh, the other two. Good stuff. Uh, so let's move into the what we've been eating category. Jacob, what have you been eating? Well, I normally uh, don't chime in on the what we've been eating section. This is usually uh, Brad's section of choice. But with uh, Fantastic Fest coming up soon and people coming into Austin uh, as returning people or as guests for the first time of the city, uh, I want to tell you about Torchy's Tacos, which I've been on a kick recently. They're a uh, local chain. It's not Mexican food. I know people who like trim their nose at them because they're not in any way Tex-Mex or, Mex- or Mexican by any stretch of the imagination. They're very much Americanized tacos. It's stuff like deep fried chicken inside tacos or um, fried avocado or sausage. All kinds of uh, strange and interesting and traditional combinations. Uh, extremely delicious. Queso is maybe the best you've ever had in your life. So if you're one of those lucky people heading up to Austin for South By or Fantastic Fest or just because you want to come say hi... Um, Torchies is amazing, and I'm eating there like every other day now, and it's very bad for me, but I can't stop. <laughs> well, I, I hope that uh, that you enjoy it and that you don't go into cardiac cardiac arrest anytime soon. <laughs> so, um, someday, someday, but not yet. <laughs> uh, Brad, what have you been eating? Uh, I don't have anything super special this week, but I did stumble upon uh, two new kinds of Skittles that you might find while you're out and about. Um, they have some crossover flavors. One of them was is an exclusive thing that you can only get at Dollar General stores. They're called it's called Brightside, and I'm gonna read the flavors off here in the back just because uh, I don't remember them all. So in this one you have watermelon, Paradise Punch, Kiwi Banana, Tangerine, and Pink Lemonade, which is pretty good. Actually, th- those aren't the Dollar General exclusive ones. Those are just regular ones that I found that are new. The Dollar General exclusive ones are Summer Splash Skittles. And those have uh, blue raspberry, watermelon, kiwi banana, orange, and strawberry. Um, I like these actually more than regular Skittles, mostly because I'm more keen on tropical kind of flavors than I am the regular fruit flavors that Skittles usually offers. Uh, I kind of feel the same way about Starburst. Um, So these are pretty good. I I picked up a couple packs of them just because uh, if I ever had a taste for them again, then I could just have them. Um, but yeah, so if you, if you can find them, the, the bright side ones are in a yellow package and the summer splash ones are in like a, kind of like a, a magenta package. All right. And you, I appreciate the Foley work he did there with the crunching bag right next to the mic adds a little extra level to the show. So <laughs> I, had to, I had to look at the, I had to look at the flavors. <laughs> yeah, no, I know. We're um, an ASMR podcast now, by the way. <laughs> yeah. You got to talk really, you basically have to whisper the rest of your uh, selection. So uh, I think we only have one more category left and that is what we've been playing. Jacob, what have you been playing lately? Uh, like everybody else with the video game, uh, system i've been playing dead cells it's a new game uh, by developer motion twin and it's available on microsoft uh mac playstation 4 xbox one and nintendo switch so no matter what you have you can play this game i got it for 25 dollars, so it's, it's not a full price game it's an indie game but it's really worth that cost it's i'm obsessed with it. i've been playing it non-stop it's basic gist is that it's a uh it's a roguelike uh which those you don't know video game terms uh that means that it's, it's run-based. You do a run of the game, you die, you start over. Uh, and so the goal of the game is to try to beat it uh, in one run. And when you, but as you play through, you can collect currencies to change your character, upgrade weapons, buy new things, change your how you play the game. Uh, but also you can upgrade abilities that stay with you um, when you reset. So 
you're changing character within the run, but you're also changing character in the overall game and making it easier to um, come back each time you uh, play, which means that the more you die, the stronger you get and the easier it is to go longer in the main game. I still haven't beaten it. I've managed to get to maybe the fourth or fifth level, uh, and it's really terrific. The, the combat feels great. Uh, there's so many different types of weapons and items to equip your characters with, so you're, you're trying to uh, find combinations because... The uh, what you get each uh, level is randomized, so you never know what you're gonna have. So you have to get to learn to make do with everything. So it forces you to get good with everything, and the levels are always randomized. So every time you play, you do not know where everything's gonna be. It's impossible to memorize, and it just has this sort of um, in addition to being a really well-playing game with mechanics I enjoyed a lot. It has this really kind of great icky atmosphere. It's set in this fantasy prison, and your character uh, is a decapitated corpse who's been taken over by a mysterious um, force of some kind. So you're playing. So the the idea being that whenever you die, you just go back and get a new body. It's it's a really really uh, dark and twisted and sometimes very funny um, angled for this on which to hang this really really fun game uh, gameplay. I was gonna say that this reminded me of Edge of Tomorrow a little bit, the Tom Cruise movie. But then your description of the, <laughs> the character body uh, completely destroyed that. So oh, Edge of, Edge of Tomorrow is so much a roguelike video game. I know people, myself included, have written about how that is the best video game movie ever made. And uh, the idea of repeating runs over and over again until you get better and can actually beat the final boss, that is that is this game and this genre of game is summed up perfectly. And that, that's why I love Edge of Tomorrow. It really captures the feeling of mastering a video game. Um, but I've also been playing another side-scrolling uh, action game, uh, Salt and Sanctuary. Uh, I know I've talked about Dark Souls on this podcast before, the extremely punishing, very difficult uh, series of um, dark fantasy RPG action games. Salt and Sanctuary is a um, it's a riff on the Dark Souls system. It pretty much takes everything that's Dark Souls, but puts it into a side scroller. Um, so instead of being a 3D game, you're moving back and forth Mario style. But it's a really good ripoff. It's I don't even want to, I have to even call it a ripoff, but it's so good. It captures so much of what makes those games satisfying. But I want to call out how I bought this game on PC, and then I bought it for my PS4 because I didn't want to leave. I didn't want to go back upstairs to play it. And then I bought it on my Switch because I wanted it portable. So I've bought Salt and Sanctuary three times now. Uh, and it's been like 15 bucks each time, so it's not like it's a huge investment. But that's, how, that's but it's, it's a testament to the game's quality that I want to be able to play upstairs, downstairs, and on the go on my Switch. So it's if you like Dark Souls or want like a really challenging side-scroller, Salt and Sanctuary is really good and really cheap. Very cool. Yeah, so I think some, some good rep, uh, recommendations in today's episode. There's a lot to, uh, lot to dig into there if you're looking for reading material or movies to see or games to play. So uh, hopefully this was helpful for you guys and instructive in some way. Uh, I think that's going to bring us to the end of today's episode. Before we go, where can people find more of our work online? Um, Jacob, let's start with you. I'm on SlashFilm.com every single day, and I'm on Twitter where I'm at Jacob S. Hall. Brad? Uh, yes, you can find me at SlashFilm.com as well. Also on Twitter at Ethan underscore Anderton. And listen to my podcast, Go Flicks Yourself, for stupid jokes and talk about movies. HT? You can find me writing every day at SlashFilm.com. And I'm on Twitter at HTranBooey. Chris? Also SlashFilm.com, on Twitter at CEvangelista413. I am also at SlashFilm, and you can find me on Twitter at Ben Pears, and you can find SlashFilm Daily, published every weekday on the site, bringing you the most exciting news from the world of movies and TV, as well as deeper dives into the great features you can find at SlashFilm.com. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Google Play, Overcast, Spotify, all the popular podcast apps, and please feel free to send your feedback, questions, comments, and concerns to us at peter at SlashFilm.com. Make sure to leave your name and general geographic location in case we mention your email on the air. Don't forget to rate and review the podcast on iTunes. Tell your friends about the show, spread the word, and we will talk to you tomorrow.